So, to my favorite people in the world, the seniors. I'm a senior. I know you don't know that. Nobody knows that. Maybe you don't have to tell them, but I'm a senior. We are making tremendous progress with this horrible disease that was sent over by China. China will pay a big price for what they did to the world and to us. Listen, living, listening to Synchronon. Sick and wrong. Yes, you listen to Synchronon. The Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. God, what a bunch of scumbags. Good evening. Welcome to Sick and Wrong, the world source for antisocial commentary. I'm your host, E. Simon. Uh, guest host this week is uh, John Michael. Thanks for coming back on the show, man. Hey, man, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad I didn't get too much hate mail last time. <laughs> I think people love that episode, Hell The yeah. Secret of Nim. Um, so what, what's what's cracking, dude? Uh, did you vote yet? Uh, I, I haven't. Uh, I'm, I'm still emotionally preparing myself <laughs> to uh, do what's best for my country and vote against my interests instead of voting against my interests. Yeah. Uh, it's out. <laughs> it's, I'll do it, but as someone who used to self-harm, uh, the edging building up to the cut is always the sweetest part, and uh, I'm just giving myself as much time as is humanly possible before I vote for Biden as the, I guess that's better, opportunity. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. <laughs> I think everybody's going to have to just suck it up and do it, but, uh, but you know, I haven't even received my mail-in ballot yet. Wait, really? No, do you already get yours? Oh, yeah. We got them this week. You should get it this week. What the fuck? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I made sure I was registered and everything's happened, received my ballot, even though I've read that, like, you know, millions of people are voting. Um, I'm actually planning to uh, write in the fly that landed on Pence's head. That's, <laughs> that, that, was, that was an incredible moment of political theater. I like that they are drawn to rotting flesh and that Mike <laughs> Pence is just the corpse that I always thought he was. Well, also, I mean, what the fuck was going on with his eye? He had like, I don't know, like a burst blood vessel. People were saying it's pink eye. I mean, uh, burst blood vessels in the eye is a sign of COVID. So, uh, oh, all right. Actually, that makes sense. I think sense. he probably has it. I mean, the, the entire West Bank is a super spreader event right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was hoping that it came out that it was pink eye and he got it from like, you know, eating the ass of some twink. Like in a in a gay bookstore or something. I th- that would have been amazing if it came out that like you know Mike Pence was in like the back seat of his Honda, you know eating the ass of some twink. That it would just I, I love when that happens with like the really religious you know um, right wing politicians. I, man, I I I uh, I'm always torn on this because like on one hand, it is really fun to joke about bigots being gay, but the flip side of that is. I think that Mike Pence genuinely is just what happens when sexual representation uh, takes on a weaponized, dare I say, werewolf form. Uh, he <laughs> Saying that Mike Pence is gay is giving him entirely too much credit that he's hiding an interesting secret. I think the first time he masturbated, he thought the uh, pre-cum was sin, and he didn't use any of it, and he chafed himself real good. And after ending up with a broken, calloused, hate-filled dick because he didn't want to get any of that sin on his dick when he was he was jerking off he's now left with something that looks uh you ever seen tree fingers you ever seen those people with the oh the, yeah the with the skin that, 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 that gives them tree fingers 
Yeah, I, I forget what might, that is. I don't know if it's like HPV or warts or something, but it's It's yeah. a variation of HPV yeah. that uh, turns your hands into giant like wart encrusted branches. I think that Mike Pence has a tree finger dick from years and years and years of dry jacking it uh, <laughs> while trying not to make Christ sad. And that like saying that Mike Pence is gay is giving him more nuance than he deserves. He's not gay. He just hates himself and the body that God gave him so much that he has to be in this constant, dare I say, zen-like state yeah. of uh, not coming. And <laughs> just sexual repression and just, yeah, I, and just hate-filled sexual repression. If, if there was like a, if there was a, if there was a tantra, tantric sex for not coming, that would be the state that Mike Pence is in. He's like the, the sting of not ejaculating. <laughs> do you think, uh, do you think mother has ever sucked his cock? Oh, I think she's given it the old college try once or twice. But when you're constantly spitting out scabs from years and years and years of dry jacking, I don't think you can really uh, appreciate the blowjob the same way. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I, <laughs> she's the true victim here. here. Here's how you can tell that someone spent their formative years dry jacking it. They call their wife mother. <laughs> you know, like it's here. And it's not that's not even a kink. Like there's no girl who's like into like daddy play. That's like, call me father. Like there's. We, there's there's accepted terms, you know. Yeah, but Mike mother. Pence, by God, is just like absolutely not. We do it missionary position, and that's when I roll up to a place I'm not wanted and do it anyway. Well, it's, uh, it's just creepy the whole way he does it. It kind of reminds me of like Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet, like mother. Yeah, you know, no, he he is very sober Dennis Hopper vibes. Yeah, I, I, I think so. You know, that's interesting though about the uh, the COVID. The the, you know, the 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 COVID signals in your in, with a burst blood vessel. I hadn't actually read that, um, but you know that's the thing. There's so many conspiracies with Trump and uh, and the COVID now flying around. And I mean, obviously, it's 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 hard to decipher the truth these days. You know, with so much like fake news and fact fiction completely being blurred. But some of these Trump COVID <laughs> conspiracy theories are hilarious. I am personally a big fan of what happened. Like, I think as long as Trump loses this time, the last four years have been a fascinating uh, exercise in what happens when everyone just goes, I don't know, maybe that's right. (laughs) (laughs) Just the vote for the wild card. Yeah, there has never been a nation that was run by so many people licking their finger and putting their hand in the air uh, (laughs) like America in the last four years. And uh, I I, want to believe that there's like a positive like that it's like we're gonna like a learn positive impact from this i doubt it i don't it's like when your friend gets into alex jones and four years later they're not like you know what i have a more nuanced view of the news it's always like yeah no the the, the reptile people are here it's great i've read that uh what's her name she's a failed gop candidate deanna lorraine who's mm-hmm. also affiliated with QAnon. she feels like the contraction of the virus is a chinese assassination attempt which, first off, if the Chinese are going to assassinate you, they're going to come full-throated, okay? The, the Chinese aren't like, let's try uh, this experiment. <laughs> let's do, let's like, do this uh, virus and kill I a bunch wanna, of other people. I want to kill Donald Trump, and I don't mind killing a million people around the rest of the world <laughs> to prove it. Like, fuck off. <laughs> that's, that's not how they're going to kill him. Um, another theory that I was contrived by Trump supporters is a, uh, a man who cleaned the stage at last week's presidential debate might have targeted the president by weaponizing a coronavirus-covered rag that was used to uh, wipe down the podium and a wire connected to his mic. 
<laughs> this guy's a Democrat. <laughs> Say that one more time. <laughs> he, he weaponized a coronavirus covered rag. Yeah. <laughs> I love anyone who's so stupid that they think Trump needed to be dosed with Corona. The guy walks around just surrounded by the dumbest people on earth with people who constantly tell him that reality doesn't exist. This is someone who killed Herman Cain and then said nobody imported died of COVID. <laughs> uh, like he, no, I he, mean, he's completely oblivious to it. My favorite theory, though, hands down about the about the president getting COVID is from Richard Van Steenberg. Uh, Richard who, Van, that's a name that just says lizard people. Oh, yeah. This guy runs a site called E.T. UFO Disclosure. And yeah, his is by <laughs> far the most bizarre COVID conspiracy theory. This guy feels that Trump's recent illness is a sign of the coming alien apocalypse. He feels that there are extraterrestrial humanoid aliens he's got he has his own terms for these guys he calls them hets uh that are engaged in a plan to subvert humanity <laughs> and take control via psychological manipulation and trump is in on the plan i interviewed richard i reached out to him he came on the show we discussed humanoid aliens masquerading as politicians and celebrities hell yeah and they're waiting to take over the world let's let's uh play the interview so we're live here with uh, Richard Van Steenberg uh, from ET UFO Disclosure. Richard, thanks for being on the show. Glad to be here. Yeah. So um, let's just get, get get into it. I uh, I read that uh, you suspect that Donald Trump contracted the coronavirus on purpose because he's an immortal alien. Is that true? Well, to give you a little bit more of a backstory, basically what happened is, is I mean, I'm saying something similar to that, but it's a little bit, um, if you really listen to what I'm saying on a daily basis, there's a lot more. That's not exactly what I'm saying. What happens is, is because the ufology community and people who are interested in ET and UFOs have a certain set of you know things they like to say and stuff like that when they talk to me i'm very specific and a lot of the terminology that i use doesn't even exist currently in the, like if you look it up it's not in the english language it's not in dictionaries and stuff like that so what they do is they kind of take what i say and they then port it to either satisfy their own readers um or make it sensationalist sensationalized yeah. or whatever and i'm cool with that because one of the things like i even said with mj was um, if the public thinks that the ufology community is the fringe and they're, you know, kind of seen as crazy or whatever, um, I would say that I'm even seen as even more bizarre because what I'm basically saying is, is that the reason the ufology community has spent seven decades and cannot solve the ET UFO phenomenon is because of two things. One, they're not willing to consider that ET is living among us on earth in humanoid form so they're basically waiting for a being to come down to earth who's in a little three foot tall body like and an et looking you know, a typical et that people yeah. might think of for example and so that's one of the scenarios that i'm trying to explain to them that a mistake and they don't want to they're not comfortable then saying well why hasn't ufology pushed this issue for seven decades why are you saying it and I'm saying, well, I'm not a ufologist. I'm a hetologist, a person that studies HET. Oh, so I was going to get into that. Some of the terminology that I've read that you use is like HET, CEA, ETA. What, what is an HET? 
So an HET is a humanoid extraterrestrial. So for example, you know how people, a lot of times if you read in the ufology community, they try and define it as ET versus humans. In other mm -hmm. words, they're saying that humans are earthlings. And the point that I'm trying to make out to them is, is that when they live among us in the humanoid form, you can't, for example, you could be one or I could be one. We can't tell the difference between them. And that's what, in, that's their secret to their power on earth in that they can live among us and be the president. They, I'm not saying he is 100% for sure. I'm saying it's possible. It could be Melania, it could be Obama, it could be Hollywood movie stars, it could be people who are running corporations, it could be leaders of the military, fighter pilots. But so when you study them, what they use is the term hybrid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask, like human-alien hybrid. Is that what you're yeah, implying? Yeah, so what I'm going to point out to them is that there's nobody who's authoritative for the term hybrid. Every person that you speak to has a slightly different interpretation of what hybrid means. And what I'm explaining to them is that, in theory, a hybrid could be visually identifiable because they wouldn't be perfectly humanoid like we think of a, of an earthling. And what I'm saying is that you need to refine the terminology, being extremely precise and accurate with it. And the reason they can't figure it out is because they're not willing to go and be that strict. And so an HET would be an example of Let's just hypothetically say the president or some of the presidents through history have been extraterrestrials in humanoid form. That would be an HET because when you look at them, you think they're all earthlings, right? But what, what are you saying, though, that, that if you like peeled their skin off, like remember the, the no, old no. 80s show Visitor, there are reptilians no, what underneath? I'm, what I'm saying is, is that and this is where it gets really beyond a normal, you know, entry level discussion. What I'm saying is, is that all living beings that exist are actually spirits, if that's a term that a person's comfortable with. Maybe you want to say souls or you know whatever, but just like entities. I, the term spirit is the most okay. common form I can find that people talk about. And your body is just nothing more than a temporal container that ET, because they know how to create life and they know how to take the spirit out of the body when the body dies and put it into a new body, the body is nothing more than a container. So a typical ET being could say, okay, I'm going to go down to Earth today and put myself in a humanoid body form, walk around among the Earthlings, then I'm going to come back to my planet later tonight, and I'm going to put myself in the three-foot-tall guy with almond-shaped eyes and antennas. Or, or remember the... the um, so so they're scene? possessing the bodies, is what they're yeah, doing. Yeah, but the trick is, is that so are the Earthlings, but the Earthlings don't know it. In other words, we've been deprived of the total understanding of what's taking place. So you know when your mother and father created you, you think that the sperm and the egg came together and the DNA and the body formed? What really is happening is there's an additional step that's going on there, and it's the reason why Earthlings can't understand how life works, is that ET is using the two beings as vessels to bring the spiritual form onto the planet. So we're similar in the sense that we're all in these body forms. The difference is they won't let us know that when we die, they can take us out of it and put it into another body form. And at the same time, they won't allow us to understand concepts like mental telepathy or telekinesis or other abilities that they may have in the humanoid form. They give us like a degraded version. It's like we're all driving around in low budget Volkswagens and they're all in high performance Porsches. But when you look <laughs> at it, it's basically a car. We Premise. Real quick, you keep saying the, the, the pronoun they, like they. So who is the they? Is this like uh, some kind of like cosmic entity, like the beyonders or the celestials okay, so, that control everything? Well, I, I would say it's ET from the standpoint of 
if you just break it down to the most basic core event of what's taking place, it's ET, meaning these other beings that existed before it existed, and then you have Earthlings, and I use the term gay because it's the first two letters from the, the word Earthling. Okay. So it's that's... basically ET versus EA. And when I say they, I'm basically referring to ET in a general sense. Okay, these alien beings. And so you, you imply that these alien beings have like a plot to take over the planet. Like why? So would, why would they want it, I guess, is my so, question. Okay, so this, it's, if you use an analogy of like the animal kingdom, man thinks that he's a higher order being to animals. So for example, we're the highest, the top of the food chain on earth, all the other animals are um, below us because we have an intellect. And um, so if you use that same premise and you think of earthlings as a lower order being and extraterrestrials as a higher order being, they would see us as essentially like you would, see, if you had a ranch and you had horses on it, you would use the horses to um, develop your ranch, to go out and plow the fields and to ride around to get places and stuff like that. So they use us as basically a lower level being to accomplish their goals, which, you know, gets like what are their goals? Pardon me? Like what are their goals? Well, so they, when you look at how they live in space on, they create star systems and planets and then as they die, they put themselves in new bodies and they keep living perpetually. And as their systems go on, some of the extraterrestrial systems, for example, the one we live in, make a decision to try to gain more power. And what they do is on one of the planets they create, they literally put beings on the planet and they don't tell them what's going on. And then they harvest them essentially, for lack of a better way to describe them, as um, intellectual slaves, and they use them to do the work for them at a lower, you know. So, for example, like Mark Zuckerberg, would would he be an example of that? Like a CEO, he kind of looks like an alien. Yeah, like I don't like to sit here and say because I can't prove that he is, but hypothetically, he would profile as the type of person who would be one. Yes, Elon Musk for sure. Yeah, but... yeah. So when you, in other words, if you say the name of a famous notable either national or globally known person that both you and i would recognize right now and you and i have never met each other before so we don't know what our likes and dislikes and who we know and don't know anytime you mention a person who's a nationally known or globally known figure who can speak and immediately command mainstream media attention and get their voice heard they either there's like a 99 percent chance they're either an het meaning a extraterrestrial being residing among us here on earth or a cea a complicit earthling helping the aget because as you alien plot yeah because what happens is is let's say right now your um show becomes really successful and all of a sudden millions and millions of people are are tuning in you they would have to pull you aside and tell you what's going on because you would be able to influence the way society works at a certain point because your um, opinion would become so popular so you're saying like right now the aliens don't care about me, but if my show started becoming popular and, uh, you know, millions of followers started listening to the show, then they'd be like, this guy's an influencer. We so, need to tap so into him. So there's a thing called the ETA, the extraterrestrial architecture. In other words, before they created earth and before they put us on it, they planned the whole thing out. And every day they're assessing how is the plan going versus how are the events taking place in um, real time and comparing to see our, you know, like an airplane flying from LA to New York, 
They're making sure, are we going to make it to New York safely and land? And if there's an in-flight emergency, how are we going to deal with it? Well, if they see that people on the plane are creating problems by disseminating information to the passengers, it's going to cause chaos on the plane. They're going to have to go. Have you ever seen the movie The Adjustment Bureau? Oh, I, I think I have seen that, actually. It's with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, and they figure out halfway through their lives that their lives are scripted, and they try to stop living the script. And they, they don't they don't say they're aliens, but these guys come in from the Adjustment Bureau, and they start telling them, hey, look, if you change your life, bad things are going to happen. And so I'm, I'm – well, so for me, I'm even saying the people that are running Hollywood are making these movies to subliminally insert the information in our minds so that when they reveal to us what's going on, it won't be that difficult for them to explain to, to, to us. To comprehend because, it. Yeah, you already have most of the information in your mind. It hasn't been connected. And it hasn't been given the technically accurate terminology to explain it. So when you say what's going on, like, do you think there's going to there's a plot? Like there's going to be a point where the aliens are like, we're just going to take over everything now, and this is going to well, be so, our planet. So I would say that they've had control of it since day one, since they put us on here as cavemen. So we're the like an ant is, farm in a sense. Yeah, the problem, and they're part of the ants because they can reside in the form of the beings that they're running. Okay. The problem is, is that because the earthlings don't believe that and they aren't willing to contemplate it, they think that earthlings are controlling the planet and randomly the events that are just happening are how the planet's being controlled. And they think that for ET to control it, they would have to come down here, maybe attack us or, you know, whatever. And what I'm saying is, is that ET is so smart They've already got complete control of the planet. The problem they have is they have to continue to implement the technological infrastructure so that they can spread the message around faster. For example, if they tried to do disclosure in the year 1500, it would have taken 500 years for them to get everybody on the planet to understand what they're trying to say. Because the technology, so to, yeah. Yeah, so, so when the you see, of. like, are you familiar with the movie, um, The Phenomenon that just came out? Um, I haven't seen that. So that's a guy, James C. Fox. It's the latest um, thing that came out in the ufology community. He's all just so excited about it because it's the most current information. And what I'm trying to explain to these guys is that's what's called subnation, where ET is producing all this stuff, and they're putting it out there to get you guys to read it on a daily basis so you're getting closer and closer to understanding what's going on without actually understanding what's going on. And what that does is it makes it so that when ET decides to tell us everybody's going to be like oh no big deal we already knew this you know because they think that the answer is et and ufos exist they don't realize that you have to take it to a higher level of het live among us and they've been here the whole and time and that we've been being controlled by these hets Un unknowingly unknowingly so let's just go back a bit to the coronavirus so how does this come into effect like why would these ets want a virus to wipe out their ants, so, so to speak. So if you go back to the beginning before Earth existed, ET has the knowledge and ability to create life, to manage life when the body, whether they don't like their body anymore or they want to travel and be in a different body or just put themselves in a new body. For whatever reason, they know how to do that. So if you morph, it's called morphine. It's a new body with the same look. Or if you polymorph, it's a new body with a different look. Well, so they know how to make a perfect body and they know how to keep the body healthy and they know how to live at a much higher um i don't know if i call perfection but a way better style of living mm -hmm. than we live 
But the trick is on Earth, they, because they put us down here in caveman form, they have to get us to go from caveman form to the form that they need us to be in when they do disclosure. Well, so in order to do that, they can't come down here every day and go, hey, you guys, we're living among you, and we need you to do this and make that and go over here and do this and have this happen. So what they have to do is it's, I don't know if you've ever heard of Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Have, yeah, or, yeah, where you so like invent is, this disease to make these people yeah. dependent upon you. Well, and they create the problem, and yeah. then what happens is when they create the problem, the earthlings try and figure out how to solve it because they don't want to suffer the problem anymore, and they try to prevent it from ever happening again. And what that does is it causes the earthlings to develop the technology that ET once developed, and then it also causes them to funnel financial resources into organizations, which are usually going to be theirs, and ones that they're deeming appropriate. So they're controlling the development of the technology. They're controlling the financial resources, which is how they control the planet. So if you go back to the history of the planet and you look at every war that's been created on the planet, they started, managed, and ended every war on the planet. The aliens, the ETs. The ETs, and yeah. mostly doing it as HET living among us and CEA helping them. They've put every disease on the planet. They've created every basic problem that we've had, but they're not doing it to torment us. They're doing it to manipulate us in a strategic manner to allow their ETA, their extraterrestrial architecture, to come to fruition at disclosure. So I, I guess my question is, how did you figure this out? Like, what, when did you have your realization that this so, is all going on, and why haven't they shut you down or imprisoned you or well, taken you to I, space jail? I've, I've had unpleasant experiences in my life due to my— With the how ETs? I, how I, well, nobody came up to me and said they were ET, but I've had people that are in humanoid form that I think are HETs that— you know, have altered my life plan on Earth from what, you know, I planned on being a um, computer engineer. Well, so the, the point, the thing started for me is that when I grew up, I was never interested in ET and I was never interested in UFOs. It had no, you know, a big zero. If you came up and tried to talk to me back in the 80s, I would have immediately discontinued the conversation. You didn't think they existed? Like you just were like, God, no, no alien I, life doesn't I mean, act. I contemplated that, yeah, maybe they exist, but I thought it, it was pointless in having any discussions because it didn't seem pertinent to life to me at that time. Where my area of um, focus was on was flying and air combat. And you know, I wanted to be an F-14 pilot and join the Navy and be a fighter pilot. And what happened was is through a lot of the people, I never ended up getting in the military, but I spent a lot of time talking to the people who were the fighter weapons um, instructor pilots. And I have an extremely high level understanding of flying and air combat. Mm. And so as I was talking to them about normal stuff, like, well, how is an F-14 gonna intercept a MiG-29 and what's your procedures you're gonna use? You know, I would do this on an extensive basis because that was, to me, was the most interesting thing in my life. You know, occasionally I would see like a documentary or something on UFOs, and I noticed the UFOs sometimes would be in formations of three, and I knew that the military pilots didn't want to operate in formations of three because they didn't know how to get beyond a leader wingman mutual. Um, you'd have to really understand air combat. Yeah, but I've, I've read that too, and I've seen picture, well, grainy photos. It's hard to tell what they are, but it looks like there's like three objects. Yeah, and so I would I would ask the weapons instructors, I was all, one, do you guys have a standard operating procedure to intercept UFOs? And guys that would take me out to aircraft carriers or spend hours talking on MiGs would immediately stop talking and never speak to me again or just be really weird. And I was like, okay, these guys are acting weirder than anybody I've ever met in my whole life. When I would ask them why they can't operate in um, a three-ship formation, they would sit there and say it's impossible and i can sit here and explain well that's it's impossible because you're using leader wingman two ship 
um, things that come from World War II and you haven't progressed to an intercept energy angles tactical V, so I can comprehend what extraterrestrial... But you've never flown a plane before, though. Well, I've got a pilot's license, but I've never flown a jet fighter. But I'm not not making a claim that I can get in, you know, go down to one of the fighter bases and get in a jet fighter and take a fighter weapons instructor and get up and go 1v1 with him and defeat him in a fight. What I'm saying is I can sit on the ground and I can speak his terminology and tactics and language at and above his level to the point where at first to an average person who doesn't understand your combat it seems like how could anybody even speak at that level you haven't spent your life doing it but once you realize that et is a far superior fighter pilot all of a sudden the fighter pilots on earth don't actually appear that sophisticated to an earth and they appear sophisticated but to an extraterrestrial they're actually I mean, they can't even figure out how to get three planes to fly tactically in formation during a fight. It's too much for their current level of intellectual awareness. You have to be able to think extraterrestrial to comprehend how to do it. But so, mm. so, I, so make it. Well, I guess what I was getting to. So, how did you know that these were these guys humanoids? Like, were you no, like, well, okay, so they're covering so, over, they're like covering up something here? So, so what happened to me was as I would continue, this went on for years, it started in the eighties as I was talking to him and I would walk away from these conversations going, this is the weirdest guy I've ever met in my life. And that didn't happen with just one of them. It happened with dozens of them. And over time I started going, you know, I wonder if ET wanted, when I started contemplating the fact that maybe they're flying in the formation of three because they're better pilots and they understand three ship tactics and our guys can't figure it out. And I started thinking, and because I never studied ET and UFOs, my mind wasn't in this mode of ET has to be a three foot tall guy with almond shaped eyes and um, antennas or you know whatever. You know, I was like, well, Long what if they're in a humanoid body? And so I immediately started going, well, if I'm an extraterrestrial being and I'm in a humanoid body, the first thing I'm gonna do when I land on earth is I'm gonna go to the fighter weapons schools and be an instructor pilot because I'll be better than all the other pilots on earth. So I had a completely different take on it. My viewpoint, I started creating like a hypothesis well, if they were doing that, why aren't they disclosing they're down here? Because if brushes are our stated enemy, and that's top secret, ET's not our stated enemy. Why would we not admit that ET exists? Why would they remain secret? And then I basically just took a militaristic understanding and viewpoint and started thinking, well, what if they're at war with us? How would they, what would a war look like between ET and the United States? What would better tactics look like? Am I, well, they could sit there and be our pilots in our United States Navy and Air Force fighter jets and we think that they're earthlings or generals be, or something like lead military leaders or president yeah, or, or the president yeah so the difference for me was i focused on the fighter pilots because i said the president needs a fighter pilot to protect him the fighter pilots don't need the president to protect them they're on they're at the end of the day the fighter pilot is the tip of the spear and he's the boundary layer between et so because i was always able to put myself in their position and think when they're going out and they're flying operationally and they come up against these vehicles, if they can't intercept this thing and either get it to land or shoot it down, which in my opinion, at that time, there was no way they could do it because even documentaries at that time were stating that these yeah. could instantaneously accelerate beyond the speed of light. disappear or something, yeah, I've seen yeah, that. I go, I go, so clearly they're just, it's like an adult to a child. We're the children and ET's the adult. But you don't have any like physical evidence for these claims. Like, do you have a photo of, the, of one of them in like, their other alien form well, like so with antennas or, or say, anything. I mean, no, I wouldn't say other alien forms. If you really wanted to spend time trying to understand how, like I came to the conclusion that they were leaving hidden clues on earth 
that they're going to reveal when they have disclosure. Part of the problem when they have disclosure and they say, look, we've been living among you the whole time in humanoid form. Nobody's going to believe them. You've never found like a piece of alien technology if you've been studying it this long, like an alien iPhone or a vibrator or something? There's nothing? Well, so so I would say all the technology on Earth is alien. In other words, it all existed on their planet and they're bringing, rolling it out to us on a daily basis. But what I focus on is, so for example, like Steve Jobs, alien for sure. I would say he he profiles as one. Yeah. I mean, to me, you can't, just like I can't prove it. Like, for example, when I started getting into this, one of the first people I was convinced might be one was George Bush 41, the father. George Bush Sr. This George Bush Sr. Randy alien. But, um, one of the things I realized is there was, even though I had certain criteria that I was coming to the conclusion allowed me to think that he was, I realized I can't prove it. But I also started to notice it's similar to the tactics that you use in the military. I don't need to define who one of them is and prove it. What I need to focus on is where are they as a group and then focus on how large is the group, what direction are they going in, and then you could develop your tactics to be able to intercept and meet them and as you intercepted and meeting them to start being able to figure out how you're going to fight them, that's when you start deciding on who's going to fight one-on-one with which person. What a normal ufologist or a person who doesn't know what I knew does is they immediately go, if you can't prove that person John Doe or Jane Doe is an HET, your hypothesis is totally invalid and you're crazy and you don't know what you're talking about. What mm-hmm. I'm explaining to him is that if they don't understand the strategies and tactics and they don't know how to focus on the group tactics that ET is using, which they can see right now on a daily basis, they're just going to get frustrated and give up and go back to ufology because they won't get what they want. And this isn't about getting what you want. It's about recognizing what's really going on. And that's difficult for a person who's not. Um, you well, know, like I think a lot of people are myopic about these these type of yeah, issues. Do you think there's a, like a men in black type organization that's keeping these alien species in check? Like, or do you, or do you no, consider I think, yourself I a think part of aliens, that? So I, so I would say the HET are the men in black with CEA. They are running the place. And if another alien or an HET decided they were going to try and spring the news to everybody, they would, that guy would accidentally have an accident and die or CEA. For example, my guess is they probably tell, too many uninformed earthlings who they try and turn them into complicit earthlings, maybe like a college kid. And then he starts going around trying to tell all his friends and they told him, Hey, you can't tell anybody. And then he has to die in a car accident with a bunch of his buddies because he opened his mouth and was going to cause too many problems for him. So I'm convinced there's a lot of really bizarre, uh, dark stuff going on on the planet behind the scenes. Like all the events we see aren't just natural like the JFK's assassination and like well, so I would I would like look that. at JFK's assassination similar to Donald Trump getting the coronavirus. It's called taction, tactical misdirection. What they're basically doing is because they know that JFK can die, they can have him fake his death. He, five minutes later, he's on another pot planet in a new body. But for the last, what did he die? 63, so yeah, 23, 63. almost 60 years now. Think of the amount of time and energy that has been spent trying to figure out how JFK died. So just like a magician on a stage, he wants to create misdirection where look at my left hand, everybody, while he's stuffing the rabbit in his hat with his right hand. So if you think of JFK dying, if you think of Trump getting the coronavirus, if you think of 
Ruth Bader Ginsburg dying last week and creating all this uh, Supreme Court turmoil before the election. All that every day has got the earthlings going, look over there, look at this, look at that, look at this. But behind the scenes, what ET is really doing is they're preparing for the day when they're gonna explain to everybody what's going on and they're leaving these little subtle clues which only a person who's aware that they've been living among us the whole time, that's aware that they have this plan for this extraterrestrial architecture they're developing where all the technology they're rolling out on the planet each day is the technology that's getting them to the point where they can quickly transition the planet from being completely unaware of what's going on to being a fully functional interstellar planet. So you don't think they just want to harvest us for food? Well, it's not for food. It's to have us do labor. Just their labor. Mostly. Yeah. yeah they, if they eat us, I don't know. I don't get into that. You know, people say they take us for adrenochrome and all that. I don't, I just yeah, focus on a very small niche of the intellectual militaristic engagement that's taking place. But what I'm trying to point out is, is that ET's plan is, is that if they can cause disclosure to occur and the earthlings were never able to figure out the whole time that they lived among us, they had control of us, and they're able to, what I call, flip the planet, get turn the lights on, get the earth, earthlings aware that it's taking place. Wake everybody up. Well, but the earthlings will still be so confused, kind of like when you wake up groggy in the morning, mm -hmm. that the earthlings will never come out of the groggy state and be able, as they proceed on with where the next phases of life go, they'll never be able to realize the actual way to control the destiny of their life. Do these aliens also control other planets without earthlings, like other alien beings, like other inferior planets? Like, are we just well, one of the many planets so, that they control? Well, so for one, they definitely have star systems and planets that I would say are extremely vast that, for example, they want our ET system may control our universe. Within that universe, they may have a hierarchical structure where the most sophisticated runs are in charge of the whole universe. Lower level ones might get a galaxy. Another one might get, you know, a planet. There's probably people who are more successful and less successful. Earth could be like a microcosm of how we live down here to how they live. I don't think they're all, you know, maybe they live in a, what do you call it, where everything's perfect. Utopia. Maybe they're all, yeah, utopia. Yeah. Maybe everyone's equal. I don't think so, because in my opinion, if you were like that, why would you, yeah, why would you enslave leave? people on Earth? I think that's demonstrating to me they've got some issues going on. But it, so what happens is a lot of it becomes philosophical, hypothetical you challenge your mind to start looking at what's taking place on earth to try to assess it. But the biggest thing to the whole thing is, is it remember how, when you went to school, you had to learn ABC and one, two, three, and you built a foundation of English and math that enabled you to go on in life for higher learning. Growth. Yeah. Well, so there's basically that same basic premise that's taking place on earth. The H E T phase of learning about the beans, the ABCs is taxation, subnation and I nation and the math is the ctvs the vehicles which gets into flying ollieing and vectating which is the three forms of maneuvering within an atmosphere outside of an atmosphere but within a star system and then interstellarly so once you take the time to actually build the basic understanding and then you start growing upon it you can see what's going on more whereas what 99 percent of the people do is they come in and they want to ask what i would call phyllis or phd level questions because they're curious like Oh, does ET do this? Does ET do that? But they don't want to take the time to understand the ABCs and the one, two, threes because that's oh, too work. Yeah. It's boring. It doesn't make sense. I don't see anybody else talking about it. Just tell me the 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 cliff notes and let me get back to ufology. And I'm like, well, going back to ufology is just going backwards. You're not even 
you, you have to realize ufology is wrong. So most people just aren't going to take the time to learn to understand because it's not, you know, ET's got them in the sense that ET's a more sophisticated, technically advanced, knowledgeable, intellectually aware, elevated being. And you have to be willing to raise your intellectual awareness and think on the level of ET. And for most people, that's well, not easy. I think to it's do. a difficult thing for a lot of people. Well, Richard, yeah. um, it's been great talking to you, man. Uh, people, listeners, you can learn more about Richard's organization at it's etufodisclosure.com, right? etufodisclosure.com. Correct. Your site? And then the easy, the easiest way to get me is just on Twitter at etufodisclosure. I'm on there almost every day. You know, I'm more than happy to chat with people and try and provide some insight if they're interested in learning how to understand this. And then if you just want to try and help or you're more curious, the extraterrestrial disclosure petition at extraterrestrial disclosure petition.com is out there. Like I said, it's got over 10,000 signatures and hopefully someday it'll make some change in the events that are taking place on the planet. Definitely. People go check it out. Richard's been great talking to you, man. Take it easy. Yeah, I really appreciate your time. Thanks. So what do you think, John Michaels? Trump an alien? Uh, I do believe that Trump is an alien, but I do not believe that Trump is an alien from outer space. Uh, I think if you look very closely at Donald Trump, it is clear uh, from the, uh, the the just rotting dead skin that uh, covers his uh, 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 his withered husk. Sack. Yeah, the canvas <laughs> sack of flesh that is uh, his life. Uh, that Donald Trump is actually an illegal immigrant from Scotland. And uh, I, I don't I don't mean to besmirch the good Scottish people. I think it's clear that he's obviously rejected your culture. Uh, but Donald Trump is an illegal alien. I think that's the real scandal. Uh, that that he, that would be incredible if that was revealed. I read that, I read an article in the Onion um, that said you know Donald Trump announces don't let fear dominate your life you know because of COVID, yeah. except. Unless it has to do with the fear of illegal aliens. Because that, that should dominate your life. They're coming here to rape your wives and eat your children. Um, but if it's COVID, no, don't fear that. Man, I, I want to believe that this guy is right. Because if there's ever going to be a president who should come out of a cocoon, it's Donald. Like oh, yeah. He, I, I would love to see a, a cocoon burst open and just disgusting fluids pour out. And then have him walk out with like insect hands all of a sudden and be like, it's great. This is the best it's ever been. Like, that would be kind of funny. That's kind of what uh, I want to see, like men in black style, just like rip off the, you know, the skin suit. And inside yeah. he's just this disgusting cockroach. I, I do have a $5 bet going with a pal uh, over whether or not if he loses, he's just going to like set fire to everything. And his final act in office will be uh, revealing that aliens are real. <laughs> I could, like I fully could see him being like, and as I'm on my way out the door, uh, extraterrestrial it. life is real. God is dead. Go fuck yourselves. And just like <laughs> running off into the distance. I could see him uh, leaving Biden holding the aliens are real bag. Yeah. Just, just to fuck with Biden when he gets in the white house or just the day before the election. He's like, Oh, and just in case you were thinking about voting for me, aliens are real. And I'll give you the details tomorrow. If I win, like, <laughs> you know, I see aliens are that. real. Nixon killed Kennedy. Just like, he just explains everything. That'd be great. I it was LBJ who killed Kennedy. Maybe <laughs> one of them. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I just hope he like, you know, does this big, like truth dump, you know, when he's actually <laughs> in the white house and we just find out like, uh, Everything that they've been hiding us and the whole government's just like, God, fuck that guy. Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. Anyway, like tr <laughs> uh, Trump is a really great name for this period of American history. <laughs>
<laughs> uh, people, this is episode 760 here of Sick and Wrong. We have some news stories coming up next, some phone calls a little later in the show. Uh, but first, here's a word about our Patreon page. Hello, Sick and Wrong patrons. In case you haven't noticed, and judging by the numbers you haven't, Sick and Wrong has their very own Patreon page, where you can find outtakes, extra stories, extra phone calls, and a whole lot more. These guys are putting out at least another hour to a week of additional content. To put it in perspective, here are some things that are more expensive than a $5 a month membership on Patreon. A pack of smokes. A value meal at any drive-thru. One $6 whore. Three $2 whores. A $10 crack rock. A six-pack of beer. A beer at pretty much any club. One movie ticket. Two joints. And two gallons of petrol. Hell, when you break it up, it costs less than 17 cents a day. And that's cheaper than feeding a starving African child. So sign up and help these Jews continue to craft the fine podcast we all enjoy so much today. So the first story we have here uh, came in from Mike. Uh, Mike says, two women, this priest is breaking tradition. It, it, this is very atypical for the priesthood. A uh, Catholic priest was recorded having group sex on an altar of a New Orleans church. Three were arrested. Yeah, this uh, this story's been making the rounds. I'm sure you've seen this one. Oh yeah, people are outraged to find out uh, Catholic church, a uh, Catholic priest is having consensual sex. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am I I'm okay. I, uh, I I my dad's a pastor, so like I have a unique perspective on this. Uh, I think that Catholic priests should be having dominatrix orgies on the in the middle of the sanctuary all the time. I think they should do it during the Sunday service. Uh, mass, I apologize. I don't, they should do it during mass. Uh, they should do it, or maybe like morning mass and then like afternoon mass could be normal. And then they could have the dominatrix mask be like mass after dark. And <laughs> it's going to bring in more people into the church and the priest will start. Well, that's the thing. So they'll, be, well, they'll also be less weird. Fucking priests are just fucking weirdos. Just by the the you know the, their vocation, these yeah. guys were just like, yeah, I'm never gonna have sex ever, and well, I'm and I'm going it, to just be a priest. I'm not gonna get married, and it, it's just, they're fucking weird. They just have to pick one or two. The problem with priests isn't necessarily that priests are like celibate. The problem with priests is that we make priests be fucking weird in every regard. You're going to be celibate and you're going to wear robes. I'm sorry. You're asking people to do sinister shit. You can free ball it so easily in a robe, you know? Oh, yeah. like oh and they do. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh no. There hasn't been a priest, a priest that wore a pair of underwear that wasn't kink related in 200 years. It's uh it's, it's tragedy. Uh, that's actually one of the things that Martin Luther was talking about was uh, priests freeballing back in the day. <laughs> so in uh, New Orleans, this happened on September 30th, around 11 p.m., an unidentified person was just walking by the church. He looked inside the windows, and uh, he noticed that the uh, lights were still on. And he observed a video of uh, two women and a priest okay. who was wearing his priestly attire Engaging in intercourse with sex toys on the altar. Wait, 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 wait. He saw a video? No, he uh, he observed okay, he, and he, he, took, he a took a video. So he okay. saw it. He I walked by he saw he observed, it. He observed a video like they were fucking and then putting it up on the Jumbotron. Well, I'm uh, sure they recorded it themselves. But God. I think he walked by and just like took a video because he was like, what the fuck? This is, you know, world star all over it. 100%. Um, I mean, first off, that dude's a cop. Fuck that guy. 
if you <laughs> if you're a listener, you're in New Orleans, you know the guy who took the video, and instead of just like putting it on a porn site, told the cops, uh, I hope you kick him out of your circle. Uh, <laughs> snitches aren't welcome, especially if you're gonna snitch, snitch on a murderer. Don't yeah. snitch on a priest who's getting his. Just, you know, he's, he's getting his dick wet. Why not? Like, why is that a big deal? He, we don't even know if he was getting his dick wet. A lot of people, when you get a dominatrix, it's not even about penetrative sex most of the time. It's about like control, or even more importantly, for a priest, letting go of control. They took away this man's uh, sub time, which I think is really important when you're being a leader to a community that you have some time where you can step back and be like, no, no, no. Yeah. Brenda the Great is in charge now. Well, the, the other thing is, uh, you know, they the guy saw that they were using plastic sex toys. So it made me wonder, do you think they had like a crucifix dildo or Jesus butt plug or something like that? Um, I would, I mean, I would like to believe that every dominatrix already has a crucifix butt plug just as like a gag <laughs> gift. Like it's what you get for Easter from your cool friends. Um, I don't know if they would use it on the, on the, on the, the, the father though, just out of, you know, out of respect. I think the thing that like, because, you know, you want to get penetrated. You don't necessarily want to be penetrated by Christ. He's already living inside you. And uh, I do think that, like, it's interesting that they were using the sanctuary. But it, if you think about altar. it, it makes... Or, I mean, yeah, but that it makes sense. Because, like, have you ever like have you ever been in a Catholic church? Oh, yeah. yeah. The acoustics Oh, the, yeah, the acoustics. Yeah, can the you, acoustics are amazing. Can you imagine the rippling echo of being spanked in a, on the altar of a Catholic church? Like, just... That that place was designed for choir music before amplification. I imagine that is one of the most divine sounds you could ever hear. Yeah, you know, I bet you that is probably the behind their intention. You know, of yeah. of, uh, of of doing this act here. Um, uh, they were just they were trying to blow the back out of Jericho and sort of <laughs> knock out the walls. Well, the other thing too is the guy's wearing his priestly outfit. So I'm thinking this of role play. I'm thinking this role play was probably like religious themed. Hopefully, exorcist themed. That would be amazing. Like if they're trying to coax the demon out of his ass with a Jesus butt plug. Um, but it, but it's kind of hot. Like, listen to this. So the guy walked by um, and he you know, took a video, called the police. Officers arrived to see two women clad in corsets and high-heeled boots by the altar with lights set up around them, you know, filming the event. Yeah. And uh, Clark actually wasn't on the altar at the time, but uh, the officers knew that Clark was the church's pastor. Um they call and they uh, tried to call him on the phone. Police then ordered the woman to l let them inside the church. So he just took off. I, I don't know if he if he was you know in the back Ugh. or something. But well, uh, I mean, he probably had already come at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think his work was done. He blessed them and uh, moved on. Uh, the the women said that they were there with Clark's permission and that they were recording themselves in role play. So I, yeah. I think there was definitely some like priestly role play going on. I. So was the priest arrested or was the woman or like were the all women three arrested? were all three were arrested. That's insane. It's a consensual sex act unless they admit that money changed hands. I can't imagine a dominatrix being dumb enough to do that. Well, they, they said it was obscenity because he was in a public space. I think if a uh, public space, it's closed. It's after hours. But I That's think the fact that someone could see them through the window. I um, mean, I, I guess for me, who's peeking into the house of God? You know, knock on the door. You know, what do you, what do you want to know that the church is doing at 11? Like, I just, I, you know, I know. I don't know. If you were walking by, though, and you saw a light on in there and you saw movement and, you know, it's, <laughs> would you look, though? I would def I would be filming. I wouldn't call the fucking police, but I would be I mean, filming that. 
if I if I saw a light on in a movement in a church at eleven o'clock, based on my experience with the church, I'd be like, oh man, the pastor forgot to write his sermon this week. Uh, like that's pastors are at churches late all the time. I think this was a can't, I, I, maybe he was looking in a window. Maybe this guy just pulled over to take a piss. He is in New Orleans, probably. At a yeah, bar. yeah. He might have been drunk. I would have been to go take a piss in Hollow Ground. Noticed the there's some movement. Took a peek in. Shot his own private porn video. Also. How do we know he shot this video if he didn't stay to talk to the cops? Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, he the eyewitness took a video. We haven't seen the video, but he provided Could he give it. Give the video to the cops. Yeah, he provided it to the police. So what happened here is, uh, so the police show up. The dominatrixes are still in the church, and I don't know if Clark left to go get some, you know, white claws or something. But he came back to the church, and uh, he was like, "Oh, these are my guests, and we're just, you know, hanging out talking about Jesus." And then we um, started penetrating each other. Well, then, yeah. Then the eyewitness, the eyewitness, uh, was like, I guess, was there, and he gave church the or gave the police the recording. Officers then arrested Reverend Travis Clark um, and the two women. You know, and honestly, I find this harsh. I do. I mean, yeah. what if he would have put up a sign that said like "film is in progress" or something? You know, or or <laughs> don't. And plus, the other thing is, don't churches have stained glass with like bloody Jesus and the saints and all that? Uh, yeah, but sometimes they also have like a normalish looking window. Like I'm, a lot of this just smells fishy to me. I feel like he might have been set up. Uh, maybe. So, well, I the just... officers did determine that everything that happened was consensual. Yeah. Um, which is atypical for a priest. But they did arrest all three of them on accusations that the three had broken a law prohibiting people from having sex within public view. And, worse, and the worst part here is they confiscated the sex toys and the camera equipment as evidence. I wish they had taken the altar. <laughs> I, love the, I just love the idea of a police impound that has like an ornate, beautiful, hand-carved Catholic altar. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's from the old uh, priest getting tiddled with the dildos on the altar case. <laughs> so, so there have been new details that have come out uh, that paint a lurid picture of the priest recording himself engaged in a sexual in sexual role play while desecrating the altar within the church. So I don't unless know was what was going on, on the, here. Unless he was shitting or coming on the altar, he didn't desecrate it. He just used it as a daybed. I hope he was doing like adult baby priest or something, just yeah. shitting all over the altar, and they had to change him. That would, if you shit on the altar, you should be arrested. But that's just because <laughs> that's because you do sacrament on the altar. Like you can you can get a, a bleach wipe and wipe down buck shit, and nobody like it's like ah, there, someone came on this. You can wipe that down. That's fine. But if you poop on the altar, I feel like you're that's. Now we're now we're. I would say that's yeah. I would say that's desecration. The flesh and blood of Christ, man. You know, (laughs) have have some respect before you go back there and abuse an altar boy. Um, Public records show that one of the women, uh, Mindy Dixon, here is an adult film actor who also works for hire as a dominatrix. Um, And I guess she uh, she posted on Twitter before she uh, as she was going to New Orleans, saying she was meeting another dominatrix to quote. Defile a house of God. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> I respect that she was like, I am arrested, but I am still a professional. I'm not breaking character. I just love how she's posting on Twitter. I'm going to go uh, meet my dominatrix friend and we're going to defile a house of God. Oh, Be man. right back with some video. Um, perfect, perfect setting to New Orleans. 
Um, so yeah, the two women uh, were booked uh, on the same count as Clark. Uh, the charges stem from obscene acts that occurred on the altar, clearly visible from the street. And uh, this arrest marks the latest scandal to befall the, uh, the archdiocese in New Orleans. Apparently a different priest in the same area um, disclosed recently he had been sexually abusing minors since 2013. Now, in my opinion, you know, I'm that's... i he's moved on to adults. Well, no, this is a different guy. Oh, they all bleed together to me. It's a different priest. This guy was even an archbishop. Um, But, you know, that's the thing. That's, that isn't, you know, that's, in the priesthood, I would say, okay, that's more normal. It's not like this BDSM malarkey, you know, that's going on here. Using minors, that's kind of normal. I feel like uh, the, the papacy would be against the idea of BDSM because as a priest, your job is to hurt other people. Uh, and they're like yeah. getting a little way, a little bit away from the marketing. So you're right, though. The altar is among the uh, most sacred of church spaces. Yeah, because it's the focal point of the mass. It's the place where a priest consecrates the, the the Eucharist during the sacrament of the Holy Communion. And here's this guy, you know, coming all over it. You know, I mean, we don't know if he came. So <laughs> yeah, maybe not. It sounds like the cops got there when it was still happening. Well, no, uh, when they got there, he had left already to go get White Claws, so the girls were oh, done. Oh, the priest had left to go get White Claws. I thought the guy who was jerking off left to go get White Claws. No, 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 the priest. To come back and watch the rest of the... The, the priest, the priest took off to go get White Claws, I, and when the cops showed up, they're just the two dominatrixes in their corsets just hanging out in I, the sanctuary. I thought the, uh, I thought the, the boyer was just bold as hell. <laughs> He's like, I'm gonna go get some alcohol while I watch this. I'm gonna, get a little I'm gonna shoot. I'm gonna shoot priest point. Then I'm gonna go get some white claws, and then I'm coming back for beating off too. Days after the uh, reverend's arrest, uh, the archdiocese here of New Orleans um, sent some officials out to uh, perform rituals to restore the altar's sanctity. Um, I wonder what the ritual was. Just like spraying the shit out of it with Lysol and Febreze. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, spraying it down with bleach and Lysol while saying, I promise this won't happen again. I promise this won't happen again. Uh, the church is oh, pretty man. vague on the specific acts that would constitute a des- desecration. But I'm sure shitting on the altar would be. But job molestation I mean- isn't. Well, you, I, I, one of the things that people don't realize about child molestation in the Catholic Church is it very rarely happens on the altar. Uh, <laughs> usually it's like an office, a choir a confession room booth. Yeah. Um, so, like, it, I feel like that's – this might be even more horrifying to them because they're like, good God, man, don't you just have the normal decorum? <laughs> um, like the, every, every Catholic Church is built with hideaway rooms for victims. You couldn't just go there. Yeah, it's like, don't you have a basement here? Come on. And don't, don't the priests live in, like, an apartment in the back? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the parsonage. Yeah, exactly. So why not just go uh, diddle them in the parsonage? Well, again, the acoustics just aren't the same. Man. <laughs> I want to I hear my ass clap reverberate through a pipe organ. <laughs> yeah, the sound of the child crying sounds so much better in the sanctuary. I need you to I need you to hit my pipe organ as uh, I hear the reverberations through the pipe organ. <laughs> so Clark was released from jail in a twenty five thousand dollar bond, and the uh, two dominatrixes posted bonds of seventy five hundred dollars. Each could face six months to three years in prison if convicted of obscenity. Jesus. Bullshit. Um, 
Yeah, they've they've had to uh, send a letter out to the parishioners announcing that uh, they have a new reverend um, who's going to be <laughs> replacing Clark, or a new priest here that's going to be replacing Clark. That's a and, crime. I would give anything to hear that guy's um, like next Sunday service. So, <laughs> anybody heard any good stories recently? <laughs> like, well, that's the thing. The arrest shocked the town, and uh, you know, it, which is impressive given it's fucking New Orleans. <laughs> Well, I think it's a suburb of New Orleans. I so mean, it's, it's a, still New Orleans. It, but it's still New Orleans. And uh, yeah, but they were shocked about it. But the thing is, is like everybody knows what happened. I don't know how you would cover this up. Because I'm sure like, did you ever have any scandals in uh, your dad's congregation? Not really. Uh, he was accused once of murdering the organist's brother. But your uh, father was? There is the, the or- She's dead now, so I can tell this story. The uh, it, it was a very <laughs> large church in the South, and the organist... Uh, had been doing playing the organ for like 30 years, but she was getting really old. She was blind and deaf and couldn't play anymore. Uh, so my dad was like, "You can't do the su- the morning service. You can do the evening service, but for the morning service, we need someone who can play the music." And uh, she brought all of her brothers, who were significantly older than her, and this geriatric mob showed up at his <laughs> office to explain <laughs> to him how the church is run. And one of them started having a heart attack during the uh, meeting. And my dad did CPR on him. And when he died three weeks later, they told everyone at the church that he had killed the brother by doing CPR on him. Oh. And, uh, yeah, like that. Uh, the, the, the scandals we had in church growing up, because my dad's a good guy, were things like, why are we doing ministry to people with AIDS? It wasn't like yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like sexual the, the, scandals. Yeah, the, the, the controversies that we faced were things like, "Why are you acting like Christians?" Not like, uh, but did, but was there like were there rumors circulating like, "Oh, he killed that man." Like, did people uh, actually think that? I mean, with the there's always going to be a whisper network of insane Baptists who think that like the reason you changed the hymnal is because you're killing the organist's brother. <laughs> I remember with my father when he retired, or he didn't retire, he moved to Detroit and he became like Same a difference. rabbi. Yeah, he, he became a rabbi of a different congregation. But the guy that succeeded him was a younger rabbi, like probably in his 30s or something, um, maybe, maybe early 40s. And so he, they liked him at first, and then they found out that he had been taking money from like the temple bank account or whatever and funneling it to this Brazilian prostitute that he had that lived in like oh, Sao Paulo. Yeah. yeah. And he would go and, and see her a couple times, you know, a few times a year. And uh, it was like a huge scandal and everyone's like, uh, you know, everyone was freaking out about it. Um, but I mean, word gets around and it's impossible to cover this stuff, you know, cover these things up. I'm sure like if I was a kid in that congregation, I would be stoked. I'd be like laughing about it, telling everybody, making jokes. Oh yeah. Um, but this guy, I mean, he was well liked by the congregation. People thought, you know, he was really easy to get along with. Um, this uh, one parishioner, her name's Cat Walsh, lifelong member of the church. She says, "What upsets me is why did he have to do that there? I'm upset for all of us, the parishioners of the church, but why on the altar?" <laughs> so, I mean, I guess that's the thing. I respect a guy who's like, "Look, we all got needs, but why you got to bust a nut there?" You know, like <laughs> I mean, now they're going to be baptizing babies on that altar. Meanwhile, it's like the guy covered it and has come. Jesus Christ! Yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, second story that we have here um, also has to do with uh, religion. Um, another that's the thing. None of these are otherwise. Uh, I mean, I think all religious people are whacked. <laughs> Uh, believe me, Jews, Muslims, everybody is pretty whacked. But you get an inordinate amount of weird stories coming from the Christian faith. Probably because oh, there's yeah. just a, more Christians. 
Yeah. You know? I mean, we're we're the most, and we're... Christianity in its modern form is fascinating because it's for 13 churches that don't agree all being like, we but we like Jesus. Uh, and that creates a recipe for zaniness. Yeah, I mean, you look at like snake handlers and all the other whacked out um, Christian religious sects. I mean, at know? least the snake handlers are like, this is what I believe and I'll fucking prove it. Like Baptists, they just say wild shit and then never test their faith. A snake handler at their worst is saying, I may be a dick, but I'm really invested. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're willing to take the risk. When you grew, you you're from Georgia, right? Uh, yeah, Tennessee. Oh, Tennessee. You're from Tennessee. Did you ever see any uh, snake handlers? Don't they live out there? Uh, that's more Appalachia. There's not as much of it in Georgia and Tennessee. Uh, I did see snake handling, but that's just because I like personally sought it out. Oh, you sought it out because I like weird shit. Uh, did you go to I a went- service? Uh, yeah, I didn't, it wasn't a snake handling church. There was a, a revival that was coming through that I found where it had a snake handling. I didn't handle any snakes. Fuck that. But I watched other people handle snakes, and it was as good as any animal show I've ever seen at like a Six Flags. <laughs> yeah, I really do want to see like, one of those. Are you, you they, ready for salvation? We you don't, right you, you don't tend to see sloppy. snake handler uh, rituals in California as much. I feel like you could find them, though. I bet you like Bakersfield. I bet you they do like Baker Riverside. I'm sure there's some snake handling going on in Riverside. The the California version would be like an ayahuasca ceremony that has a rattlesnake loose in it or something. So uh, this one happened. uh, This this scandal here happened in Arkansas. A pastor did an exorcism on a toddler while using meth with church members. Now, when you say using meth with church members... Did they use meth on the baby for the exorcism or were they just using meth during the exorcism? I think they're just smoking meth during the exorcism. I'm perfectly okay with that. Exorcisms take a long time. And, meth <laughs> and you need your you strength. You know, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, personally, I would use Adderall if I was the priest. Uh, but, but you need you know, your go juice. Yeah, well, that's know? the thing. Adderall... You know, it keeps you up and it keeps you focused, but it also kind of brings you down a little bit. Maybe when you're going toe to toe with a demon, Satan, uh, yeah. you you know, I will say it very rarely shows up for the exorcism himself. But if it, like a de- you're going toe to toe with the the, the almighty, like a lesser known demon, you know. I feel like maybe meth is going to give you the advantage. They'll be like, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And you'd be like, I can suck cocks all day. Like, I, <laughs> I think that that uh, I think meth would give you a up. I don't know if demons are prepared to deal with a priest who is methed out. Who's <laughs> just like off his tits on meth. Uh, so a child abuse investigation involving a pastor in central Arkansas led to drug charges after police discovered he was using meth at the church with his parishioners. Um, so your father was a, was a pastor, right? Yes, sir. So what do you have to do to become a pastor? Is it just an online certificate? Like, is there a school for it? Like, how, how do you become a pastor? Uh, you become a pastor the same way you get basically any job uh you uh find a place that wants a certain level of credentials so uh there are pastors who have only gone online and there are pastors who've never taken a single class outside of growing up in the church uh my dad is uh a little bit weird he uh went to a christian uh like a traditional Christian seminary and then also did half of his training at a Catholic seminary. Oh, okay. Uh, Cause he wanted to have a full. So he trying to decide which one he's going to go with. 
No, he just, uh, he felt like you should understand all of the moving components of the church that you're a part of. So he studied every denomination and did his best to train under people uh, with different disciplines and uh, be as well-rounded as you possibly can be. Does uh, does he think priests are weird? I don't know. He loves priests. He, like, he, he, uh, he views pastors, I think, the same way as he views people. There are good ones and there are bad ones, and you can't judge everybody based on uh, the individuals. Yeah, I mean, it's just generalizing. I just remember my father was friends with a lot of... Uh, he was friends with a lot of clergy in general. Uh, but uh, sure. this one guy who he used to come over later on, actually about three years ago, it came out that he was a pedophile, Father Bob. He was the... Uh, the Catholic priest of St. John's is a big Catholic church there. Uh-huh. You just knew something was off about that guy. He yeah, was I one of those priests. Bob. Well, he was one of those priests that always had like a super like nice gold uh, Rolex. You know, he drove like sports cars. Way too nice to boys. Yeah. I, just I would, way I, too friendly my, with the boys. My rule was I didn't trust any minister who had an Xbox. <laughs> I'm sure Father Bob had several. Uh, but I remember, like, even my dad would be like, yes, he's very weird. He's weird, but he's a nice man. And it's just like, okay. <laughs> um, but, th- but this is what I was wondering with, with pastors. It's like, do they not do background checks? Because this, this guy, Lloyd Eddie Lasker Jr., he was charged with possession of a controlled substance, possession of drug paraphernalia, and possession of a gun by a convicted felon. Well, first off, you don't know. <laughs> Maybe he bought that gun from a really cool guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's a convicted felon, so, so it's like, so, do they not look into the background? Church, uh, this is a terrible metaphor, but churches are like punk rock. Uh, there are all levels of professionalism, and <laughs> you are there. First are, time I've ever heard that analogy, by the way. <laughs> there, are, no, no, there's there's a lot of like there's a Christianity in any form of like small church at its purest, smallest form is like a DIY music scene. Uh, they are running out of non-traditional venues um, from like a small thing in a strip mall. I've seen churches run out of abandoned fast food restaurants. Like they are at their roots. They are very small and do it yourself because that's what ministry is. Yeah. And then they go all the way up to like multi-million dollar mega churches. Um, as you get to bigger churches, you are more likely to run into uh, things like background checks and shit like that. Smaller churches, they usually start because people who know each other have uh, decided to start a ministry together. And that, I think, sometimes is where you have your major problems because, like, you never – You someone, don't know who – yeah, who's in charge. You never know it. why someone's running towards God right now. You know? Like, you don't <laughs> – you'd be like, oh, man, I did some shit last year. It's time to start a church, you know? Uh, yeah, so there, think, there's always, like, an underlying reason, you know? Yeah. Smaller, so smaller churches, I think you're going to find more cases of people who are running from something. Uh, there's, I think that uh, any time that I have seen a church where something went kind of sideways, uh, it was because someone was just kind of hired on trust, and you have to verify when it comes to you know people. Well, that's um, the thing. This this uh, town is uh, 30 minutes uh, north of Little Rock. It's a small town, less than 2,000 people. Uh, the place is called the House of Refuge and Deliverance uh, Ministries Church, and it's on a rural stretch of highway. Well, you also have to remember this is just like a uniquely thing, uniquely American thing about churches is like everyone wants to be a part of their church. Um, so we have too many churches. We have uh, this America. There's one on churches. every block in Alabama. Yeah. 
we, there's more churches per capita in America than any other country, I believe. And the problem with that is it means there's a huge shortage of not only pastors, but like good pastors. So if you're willing to move to a shithole town, there's a job there for you. you yeah, I, mean, I think you just start and, up a church. And their option, like th- that church, their options are as limited as who applies, you know? Like you, you know, can't, you're not offering competitive salary or benefits or something when you're in bumfuck Arkansas. You're offering the opportunity to do meth and exercise a demon out of a baby, and that's why you go. This guy, uh, we're, this guy who calls into the show every now and then, he was a former pastor, but he he called in and was telling us like he was a homeless guy, and they let him live in the back of the church, and eventually yeah. he became the pastor of the church. Yeah, see that that's the good kind of church DIY. That's beautiful. <laughs> I don't think I'm, he was smoking meth with the parishioners, though. But he could have. That's up to yeah, him. Maybe. Yeah. But my but my point is like that's that's the kind of beautiful thing about the church when it works is that like you know people can be given opportunities and prove themselves. The yeah. downside is that freedom also creates a lot of space for people to do meth and exercise demons out of it. <laughs> so police were called to the church uh, in September for a welfare check, and they found an emaciated 21-month-old child with multiple bruises from head to toe. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, the child is now in ICU with brain bleed and extreme malnourishment. Um, four days <laughs> you later... Tell me how the, you gotta tell me the condition of the kid before I riff. <laughs> <laughs> four days later... Um, they, uh, they, they searched, they went in search of Lasker, who is the, uh, the rev or the pastor to ask him some questions about the uh, child abuse case. He wasn't home at the time, but they saw his truck at an Exxon gas station. Uh, then, then they then approached him and they found Lasker in the passenger seat of the truck and a second man, uh, Timothy Bynum here standing near the driver's side. Uh, when they searched the car, they found four grams of meth in a small baggie inside the door panel, a pipe and a, another device for smoking meth and more meth on the floor of the passenger side. So having a little meth party in the truck. Yeah, that, that sounds less like a meth-fueled exorcism than a meth party that had an exorcism happen halfway through it. <laughs> well, I think the exorcism already happened. This is just like the aftermath. They're oh, like partying. So are they just... So we, for all we know, he could have done the exorcism sober and the meth was just for some me time after he saved a baby's soul. Exactly. Maybe it was just like celebratory and meth. You everybody's know? always trying to think the worst of drug users. You know, a lot yeah, of us, just... a lot of us, wait to smoke our meth until after we've removed the demon from the baby. However, uh, that's, a guy it's just with typical cop behavior to think that if there's meth and an exorcism in the same room, they have to be done together. But but that's the thing though. Guys like these with four grams of meth, I'm sure he's probably. I wonder if he's just smoking meth before every servant, you know, sermon, and they're just like, God, he's uh, so animated today. I, I I don't have much experience with meth, and I have no reference point for how much four grams of meth is. It's it's a healthy amount. Is that a lot? Like, yeah, it's a decent amount of meth. Okay. I mean, you get a gram of blow. It's you know, I you yeah, know, but I usually don't do meth is crystal, you know. Like, yeah, but you crush it up. And it's it's. I mean, smoking is one thing, but I mean, I I snorted meth for years. Um, but you crush it up and it's just, uh, you know, it's just powder and you're just doing lines of it. But four grams oh. is a lot. You'd be up for a while. That seems like, uh, I don't know. Like it, that seems like enough meth to, I don't know, soothe your soul after you wrestled the devil. Definitely. I, I could I mean, see you like and, being like, you know, I, you know, after, you know, a, a rigorous exorcism, relaxing with a little bit of meth. I, you mean to tell me you're going to have the energy to be a pastor after you exercised a demon out of a person who you could not talk to 
Yeah, it's a child. Like it's gotta be it's gotta be so much harder to exercise a baby. Cause like a teenager, at least you can riff. A baby, you're just being like, ah, the, the crown of Christ compels you, and the demon's like goo goo ga ga back at you. How do you even interact with that? How do you get the rhythm? Well, How do you get the pace for the crowd work? I wonder if the demon though was like, you know, speaking through the baby, like, but in like a demon voice. I wanna believe that demons are funny. And it's not I, I feel like it's too easy if you're talking to him. I feel like the, the number one reason you would possess a baby is because there's a lack of vocalization, that it doesn't have the, the muscle development for you to be like, your mother sucks cocks in hell. You just got to be like, like I, or like its first word is during its exorcism. Like there's all sorts of things you could do. Um, What's his first word? Bears up. I'm like, ah, dumb. we'll never forget that. Damn it. The second guy that he was caught with smoking meth, um, after he was arrested, immediately was like, oh, no, those drugs belong to him. He just Im- immediately was like, ah, oh, no, they're the priests. Couldn't even do the priests a solid. Yeah. Uh, another officer interviewed Lasker, who uh, reportedly denied knowing that the items were in the car, but he did admit to using meth in the past and oh, having yeah. a shotgun at his house. Um, he was arrested then on charges relating to the meth and the other, and the drug paraphernalia. And when they did a probation search, they found a shotgun, rounds of ammunition, two other firearms. And so uh, when they arrested him, they interviewed him regarding the child abuse investigation, during which time um, he admitted to trying to exercise the demon that was within the child, but he would not explain how he did it. Um, he did say that uh, he used meth in the church several times with the child's mother and other church members. So I wonder what his, if his technique is just to like get high on meth and just beat the demon out of the child. Hey, man, that this is so frustrating because like the kid part is so sad, but that's awful. But on the flip side, I bet like I don't have like have you ever gone to a Catholic service? I have attended. Uh, you know, that was one thing my father also, is did. Is this person Catholic? No, it's a. It doesn't really say what they are with denomination, but he says it's a pastor, oh, not a priest. Got it. I see. Like I, if it's just a normal priest, I think that it would be kind of refreshing to hear one preach on meth. <laughs> I bet his illustrations would be baller. I bet his his metaphors, while making no sense, would be beyond this world. I just yeah. wish he wasn't dealing with this kid. I would be. Fi- I would go to church more if I knew the pastor was on meth. Well, that's a, that's the thing. Like kids. The, the evangelical uh, pastors, they look like they're on meth. Oh yeah. I mean, they're like you know they're getting crazy. What are the Pentecostals? I bet you that's what this guy was. It seems like anyone anyone could smoke a bunch of meth and start a Pentecostal church. <laughs> you know, it, it seems like it. Um, did your dad ever exercise a demon? Did anyone ever ask your dad to do it? Uh, yeah, he's. Well, he's done uh, it. Yeah, he's he's done uh, exorcisms before. Uh, I don't have a great deal of information about it. I was too young to participate uh, or be a part of it. Uh, he, uh, in my experience, talking to him and talking to other pastors and ministers who have been a part of it, uh, there are kind of two forms of exorcism, and one is. Uh, Do they involve meth at all? Either no, form? very little meth. <laughs> I mean, like after the after party, obviously. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's two kinds of exorcism. There's spiritual and mental. So there are manifestations of multiple personality and schizophrenia that can take on the form of demonic possession, 
and exorcism can be used as a treatment to help people overcome that. And then there is also demonic possession. I do not have enough information to clearly say which ones that he has participated in. Uh, I just know that uh, I've seen enough weird shit in my life that uh, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I definitely believe in spirits, and I definitely think that exorcism is real. <laughs> do, you, do you ever? Do you know who Bob Larson is? <laughs> Reverend yes, Bob I Larson. I love Bob Larson. I've, I've been he's, to a couple of not, his events. There's, it's important to make this distinction. Bob Larson is P.T. Barnum. He is a carny. <laughs> he is a fraud. He is a if uh, if he's hearing this, sue me, motherfucker. Bob Larson is a he's a con uh, man. No, I mean a con I've, man, I've seen it. Marketing yeah. scheme. Trying uh, to sell also, his exorcism course, and you can get God, one of his special crosses. But he's so funny. That's oh my God, it's so amazing! It's funny. amazing. He wrote this book uh, about Satanism in the late '80s. That's all about like ritualistic murder and shit, and how Dungeons and Dragons, metal, and oh yeah, yeah, I've, I've actually will, heard like, of this. Get your kids into the devil, and like I read it as a kid because it was my favorite gore book. Because it would just be him describing like vicious murders, and then being like, "And here are the records they listened to that got them into it." And I just take notes, <laughs> like, "Yes, I will buy." Uh, I'm I'll going to buy Judas Priest, and yeah, <laughs> Morbid like, Angel is perfect. Yeah, Bob Larson got me into so many good bands. So like. <laughs> There's some, there's some good and some bad. Yeah, uh, I, I saw him at a, oh God, I forget the name. It was the, a hotel, uh, a uh, conference room at a hotel out by LAX. And uh, it was free, and you could just go attend it. And so the first part is just his bullshit dogma, like trying to sell his exorcism stuff. But the second part after the break, it's like a three-hour thing. You come back, he actually does an exorcism. But it's funny the way he does it, because he makes it seem like, oh, just a random guy in the audience is going to be exercised. But you know he has a plant. And then he brings this guy up. And next thing you know, I mean, it's it gets, I mean, kind of, he had a bunch of people holding the guy down. And the guy's just screaming and swearing. I mean, it was it was fun. In the end, it looked like he was like barfing, like puking it up. Like, I mean, it was definitely like a violent exorcism. If Bob Larson comes to your town, you should definitely go check it out. I mean, it's really okay. funny. If you were curious, like what it would be like to have the energy of a Guar concert without the makeup effects, death metal, <laughs> or uh, human sacrifice on stage, go see Bob Larson. It's yeah. Guar for your heart. <laughs> it is entertaining. Um, so the, uh, the officers then searched the church with a warrant for over an hour and they found another baggie with white crystal residue, uh, that suspected it's meth that was hidden in a hollowed out Bible. So I'm joking about that. They didn't have a hollowed out Bible with meth, but that would have been amazing. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, that was the most believable part of the story. I've, I've known so many people with hollowed out Bibles that they kept their shit in. Like... It's a good place to keep it. It's a good stash box. Put it that I don't way. Even, I don't even keep drugs in it. I've got three hollowed out books. <laughs> <laughs> Just for the hell of it. Anyway, uh, people send your story, Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have some phone calls coming up next. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, but first, here's a word from Adam and Eve. Hey, guys. It's me, Stephen. I'm a huge fan of your show. Thanks to your awesome coupon code, Diddle, I can buy myself loads of good sex toys. Since both of my wives died, and my Lugaric's disease got pretty bad, 
let's just say things at the bedroom got pretty boring. But thanks to adamandeve.com and coupon code diddle, D-I-D-D-L-E. I am now a new man. Thanks. So you got a few phone calls to get to. 323-522-4032 is that number. Uh, people remember, you can actually email calls, or you can even, people have been sending them even via Facebook. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely call the Sticker on Hotline. Keep it under three minutes. Uh, this first call um, is from Pearl, calling in about the fires in Oregon. Hey, Zaddies. It's Pearl. I'm thinking 12 hours after the start is probably a good time to call about it. So... You know the fires that are going on everywhere? Well, if you look on a map, the Riverside Fire and the Beachy Fire in Oregon are literally 30 to 45 minutes, like the core of the fire is about 30, 30 to 45 minutes from my house. And It's kind of insane, the fires this, this season. Oh, yeah, it's been an absolute hell on Earth. It, it's, yeah, I mean, visibly. It's, it's crazy just that, that this... I mean, it every it seems like every year it's getting worse. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't remember lost, six years ago having like just rampant uh, forest fires like this. Usually, only one part of the country is on fire. This year, the entire fucking West Coast was on fire at once. Yeah, I mean, like Oregon and uh, you know all the way through uh, Northern California. It wasn't as bad. Well, no, actually, there were some fires down here too. I forgot about that over by Pasadena. Oh yeah, um, no, the the Northern California fucking fires this year were fucking insane of the fire is a good yeah about a half another half an hour it's 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 20 minutes i think but the edge of the evacu the level three evacuation zone is about um five minutes from my house if i jog so um yeah that is weird too the way they're like you're in an evacuation zone you gotta go I remember, I think it was last year. I worked with a, I worked with a couple guys that are essentially they couldn't go back to their house, uh-huh. so they were just living with their family in a hotel. A lot of people just live in shelters, and it's you know he was still coming into work, but it's like, dude, why don't, why don't you just take this time off? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's weird that the the way they uh, you know they, vac- make you they'd you, have to pay you to live, so we can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want to give you health care. We're not going to pay you to live. I was reading uh, Trump was saying, I don't know if it was today, like he did some, uh, I think it was today actually, he um, did a uh, campaign event, which he described as just a, a talk from, a, from the, the White House, but he had all these like, I don't know where he got, I think he got them from Candace Owens, that, uh, GOP, that uh, African-American GOP uh, personality. She like has a she has a company called or a, an organization called Blexit, Black people exiting from the Democratic Party. Oh yeah, and they paid for all these uh, you know black and brown people to come to the White House to attend this rally. Uh, and a lot of people not even wearing masks, just so Trump could look like he's addressing Latinos and the black community. I think it is a sign of growth that Republicans are finally supporting busing. <laughs> well, so anyway, Trump is Trump is here, like just you know, going off on his fear tactics. But he was saying that California is a couple months away from rationing water. 
So I we're mean, not we're gonna... a couple years away, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, we don't have enough water for people, and soon it's the governor's gonna withhold water, and people are gonna have to learn how to like make water from the ocean, <laughs> like to, to make drinkable water from I mean, the we ocean. Be doing that anyway. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's a good. I think that's a good thing. But I was just like, wow, investment in desalinization. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I figured, I figured any kind of. Uh, environmental issues trump would try to avoid but now he's you know using it as a scare tactic so we'll see i, I think he's flailing and just running trying just to figure every- out what he can say <laughs> you know i i read that uh he was having um pompeo uh, uh release a whole trove of hillary's emails right before the election <laughs> because like, we got to bring that back at this point, I wouldn't be shocked to see him announce Snake and a Blowjob Day has made an actual national holiday. <laughs> that would probably get him elected. My God, area is currently in level two evacuation, which means kind of like you know how it's like get set, ready, go. We're at the ready. So you know uh, how how you've got the uh, jogger, the terrible. people in the Olympics with their feet up on the little placard things before they take off. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. But they end- God, I would be going through my record collection, being like, "All right, I got to keep this. Yeah, I'm gonna leave this one behind. Any uh, anything with Eric Clapton in it that can burn." Yeah, um, I've got. I already have like my ten records that I take with me everywhere I go, set aside. <laughs> hey, you can't lose those. Stood at like one o'clock earlier today, and it's been almost twelve hours, and their website hasn't updated with any new information, and I'm like. I completely dismantled my room. My computer's completely dismantled downstairs. I've packed all my important shit. I've packed all the sentimental shit. I for- almost forgot my degree waiting for it to go eat into threes that so that we could pack yeah, up no in the vehicle and go. No one needs but that. But they haven't bothered doing that yet, and I'm kind of don't want to go to sleep because if it goes off while I'm sleeping, I'm scared I might forget something. And God, it's so fucking weird yeah. to have to deal with that. The main issue I mean, right now is the smoke. The fire, the the problem, especially when you're in those like ready zones, is the like if the wind changes strongly in any way, you can be gone in 30 minutes. It can move that fast. Yeah, like it's uh, in the places when they're like, be ready to leave at any second. Um, a lot of the most heartbreaking stories have been people who were like, were told like get ready to leave, and then they fell asleep, and they were like 30 minutes late to leave when they were told to. And like they had either drive through active fires or in one case, like an entire family uh, basically got burned alive. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think trying I tried to escape. And then, yeah, like the dad like left uh, to like run an errand and get stuff for the trip. And when he came back, he uh, was the fire was so bad he wasn't able to get back to the house and get his like child and, and the mom. dog. I think I read about that. The and child was just found like holding the dog, both burned. And he found his he found his wife when he was trying to drive back to the house, uh, but she was so burned from like walking on the path away trying to get help that he didn't recognize her until like they were out of the fire. Oh god, it's terrible. Yeah, and it's like that. Shit, it's like that when it when the winds pick up, man, that they can just move that shit so, so terrifyingly uh, so- fast. Are you supposed to just be like just not alert the whole time, like no one's sleeping, just monitoring, you know, the the radio or whatever? Like at certain levels, yeah. But how do they warn you? Like, do they have sirens that go off? Like, I mean, do they come to your house? There's like radio alerts and uh, news alerts and things like that. Ah, I assume there's probably like a national weather service sort of thing, but yeah, that lets people know. But but 
I don't know. They have an updated website in 12 hours. So I don't know where the fucking fire is. You know, it's just like. Yeah, I wouldn't trust I the government the to update their website. Anyway, I called into work today. Literally, it was a three-second phone call saying, hey, it's Mackenzie. We just went to level two. And I'm not coming into work. And they said, okay, fine. And I'm not bothering to call in tomorrow. But if I end up losing my job because I don't show up to work or I don't call into work, it is what it is. Anyway, <laughs> keep it sick. Keep it wrong. If I die, pour one out for me. Uh, I'm gonna well, pour one out for you just in case you died. Yeah, I'm gonna pour one out for you anyway, there, Pearl. But uh, you know, I I wish you the best. I I really do wish her uh, health, and I hope nothing happened to uh, you, your family. That's fucking awful. This whole fire thing is fucking awful. Is it under control now? I mean, this is an older call, but is it still going? Because it kind of like is out of the media cycle, you know. The fires. I think the fires have mostly slowed down there's still like some across the nation but for the most part they're done but it was still like a fucking few, like two weeks of the wet entire west coast being on fire and meanwhile you have like fucking alex jones and those guys and fox news being like antifa set the fires just the antichrist it's like okay <laughs> um yeah god good luck pearl that fucking sucks and uh yeah fuck going into work if your job's gonna fire you over that you should go get a new job <laughs> Um, I know she she used to work at Taco Bell, and I think she got a job at a grocery store or something. But <laughs> um, anyway, uh, next call we have here is from uh, this guy who uh, I think I was telling you about him earlier. He's he's a preacher that became like preacher of this church, and he, then he left and he became a truck driver. But he was telling telling us something last time he called about a Christian camp that he was a counselor at, and I don't know if it was the Christian camp that turned him against Christ. Or was like, you know, if, if he was at the camp and he suddenly realized, I can't endorse this dogma anymore and I'm going to become a truck driver. Or maybe it was meth. I don't know. But anyway, he calls in to clarify what, I guess, made him turn away from, uh, from God. Hello, Brother D, Brother Harrison. This is Atheist Preacher. Still waiting on a Atheist new nickname. Um, I called to uh, clarify and... Maybe I can uh, help rebalance the pH in Harrison's vagina. Um, <laughs> so what I was speaking about with my camp, if you'll remember, was I was talking about the sort of school they were sending me to. With like, it had like counseling classes, Bible study, shit like that. So he he was going to preacher school then. So it yeah, wasn't one of those like yeah, it wasn't one of those Pentecostal uh, you know storefront churches. And, yeah, it was just ran by these two really weird brothers that always wore matching clothes, and they were really odd. Um, <laughs> that is creepy. So, yeah, uh, that's about really all the only update I wanted to give is just clarify that. I was talking about a thing that they sent me to. Uh, the word obsquatulate is uh, an invention of my own. It's a mix of abscond and perambulate. I basically just disappeared. Didn't talk to anybody in my church uh, except for one girl. Um, yeah. Oh, before I go, I wanted to tell you a little fact about America I found out. Um, possible destination for Harrison. There is a place called Guntown, Mississippi. 
very American fact that I wanted you to know. So there you go. Adios. Lick my ball. Guntown, Mississippi. You been there? It's just uh, Guntown, Mississippi is the nickname of every city in Mississippi. <laughs> it's it's what they use instead of a social safety net. <laughs> if you um, lose your job, they just give you a gun and as many bullets as you have. It's just like, go ahead. Live your life. Um, have you ever been to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee? I fucking love Pigeon Forge. It's a delight. Yeah, I was I was uh, talking to a friend about it. I, I've never been there. Is it closer to Knoxville or closer to Nashville? Uh, it's about the same. I mean, it's three or four hours away from both. It's a... Uh, it's a, it's just a tourist trap that's just delightful in every possible way. Yeah, they have a true crime museum there. Oh with yeah, like Ted Bundy's car. Yeah, Ted Bundy's car is. Uh, have you been there? I, I have. It is. Uh, it's anticlimactic. They've cleaned it since he was using it, and oh. it, it doesn't. When you, no when you're blood like, I clotted see Ted, hair. I, I want to see a bloody handprint, or I'm yeah. like that could be anyone's old <laughs> shitty Cadillac. <laughs> What else do they have at the True Crime Museum? I gotta go check I, this place out. They had like some guns from people who killed people. They had, uh, fuck, what was it? They had a murder. It was a lot of. It was a lot of like, yeah, it's a lot of murderabilia shit. I was kind of wandering through it, disinterested. My my interest in crime has always been more like mafia shit than uh, normal people going crazy. A normal person going crazy and killing their spouse. I get that. That's just life. But like. If you're going to make an organization out of it, I'm much more interested. Uh, so like, yeah. true crime shit's just never clicked with me. My wife listens to tons of it. I do I want to check out, but Pigeon Forge is, is Dollywood in Pigeon Forge? Uh, is Dollywood in Pigeon Forge? Yes, Dollywood is in Pigeon Forge. So it is like a little tourist town in like the Smoky Mountains or whatever. Yeah. It's, I got to um, check it out. I'm trying to remember how close Pigeon Forge is to Gatlinburg. It's, yeah, Pigeon Forge is where Dollywood is. And then, uh, let's see, how far Pigeon Forge to... Because Gallenberg is also a uh, nightmarish... Oh, okay, Pigeon Forge and Gallenberg. That's why I, I get the two mixed up. Gallenberg is seven miles away from Pigeon Forge. So Pigeon oh, Forge is sure. where Dollywood is. Gallenberg is where, like the true crime museum and Ridley's believe it or not and a museum like an aquarium and a bunch of shit is so it's, it's just, just like a little like, tourist town it's two it's two separate towns that have kind of turned into one monolithic uh like if uh if uh anaheim was two places kind of, but, but it kind of sounds more like branson like yeah, branson like missouri if, in the smoky if mountains anaheim was in branson missouri it would be <laughs> Pigeon Forge. yeah i definitely want to check that out it's great. Um, Dollywood is a fabulous place. Oh, yeah. Um, the Preacher Calls Back with uh, part two here. Hello, Brother D, Brother Harrison. This is the atheist preacher. Although, still looking for a new nickname because I ain't in preaching business no more. Uh, I'm calling back to kind of redo it because my last call was a bit of a incoherent nonsense. So, uh, basically, I just wanted to clarify some things. Because uh, you couldn't hear me too well, I was driving. Um, so first off, what I was talking about was this, like sort of boot camp they sent me to. Uh, if you remember, because they they were going to send me this like a training camp for for ministers. Uh, and yeah, it was just this weird old school camp 
like that, but it was all. The- is it usually a school or is it a camp? Uh, it's usually a camp, but there are also Christian schools. There's a there. Here's the thing: if there's a if there's a way to grift money out of people, the church has it. <laughs> so wait, did you ever go to any Christian camps? Oh yeah, I went to. Uh, let's see, I went to Cross Point a bunch of times when I was a kid, which was a Christian sports camp. You go away for a week. You do a sport in the morning, sport in the afternoon, praise and worship at night, usually some puppetry in the middle of the day. Uh, went to a lot of Christian summer camps uh, that were run by my church. Went to a lot of winter jams where you go in like a uh, – it's less of a camp than it is like a conference. You go to like a big conference room for like three days and some terrible Christian rock acts play their Christian rock Well, did you see Striper? Uh, I have seen Striper in a concert <laughs> setting, but not at a Christian uh, conference. I saw DC Talk – Audio Adrenaline, The Newsboys, Jennifer Knapp, Skillet, uh, Reliant K. Smash uh, Mouth? No, they are not Christian. Oh. Uh, but I did see Family Force 5, the Christian equivalent of Smash Mouth. Uh, I have seen so much bad Christian music. Uh, <laughs> so wait, did you have to go to like, uh, what do you, what's, what's it called? Like Promise Keepers where you like pledge your virginity? Promise Keepers is not pr- uh, pre- pledging your virginity. Promise Keepers is men keeping the promise to be the leader of their household. Uh, oh. I did very briefly have a promise ring and then I told my mom I didn't want to wear it because jewelry was uh, not becoming. Uh, so... <laughs> but, I But I, I made sure I was like, I don't want to wear a ring and she was like, okay, cool. <laughs> so like... What am I thinking of when you get the, uh, you pledge your virginity and don't promise you get like ring. a little ring? Oh, that's the promise ring. Okay. Yeah, promise ring is a ring that you wear. It symbolizes your covenant that Jesus owns your dick's actions for the next seven years. <laughs> Do you still have the ring? No, fuck no. I lost oh. it like immediately when I was a kid. I didn't want to wear it. <laughs> it's like, I'm a virgin, everybody. I was, I was like, mom, I'm not even fucking with I'm not this much of a virgin. Like, it's... <laughs> so wait, did you look forward to going to Christian camp? Like, was that oh, fun? Yeah. Oh, so it was a good time. Yeah, you go out of town. Your parents aren't there. They're chaperones, but they're all chaperones who like don't know how to work with kids. So like, outside of when you're in church, you're just hanging out with your friends away from your parents, going to Applebee's. It's it's great, and even like the services are fun up until the last twenty minutes when they try to save you, and then they're like. They, the, the worst part at the end of it, they have this like altar call, which is they, you know, you call you up and if you accept Christ in your heart, you can, you, you walk to the front, but it's like a big event and they need pictures of like thousands of kids getting saved. So they just keep going and going and going and going. So it hey. starts off and it'll be like, uh, you know, if you think that you need Jesus in your heart, just come down here. We have counselors who will pray for you. And like 20 minutes later, they're like three, 400 kids are up front. And they're just like, you know, I, I just, I feel I feel like out there there's there's someone who still needs to accept Jesus. I, I feel like out there there's there's a 13-year-old girl who doesn't feel pretty. And like you look around and you're like I'm a 13-year-old girl that doesn't feel pretty. I guess I need Jesus. It's manipulated. I would have been trying gross. to stand in the background just flashing the devil horns. I I did once have a youth pastor wash uh the feet of everyone in my youth group and as we were walking away, we all had the conversation about whether or not that was a kink he had. Yeah, I was about to say, that guy probably had a boner the entire time. <laughs> we were children who didn't understand kink, but all of us were like, that was fucking weird. That right? is like, that's, fucking creepy. That that's is some fucking uncle weird. you don't talk to anymore shit, right? I remember I went to one Jewish camp, which is weird that Jews would even be sent to camp. But uh, it was called they Camp... Reclaiming camp. Yeah. <laughs> camp Young Judea, and it was in Wisconsin. And all the... 
you know, my peers, my age at the synagogue were, went there. I fucking hated it. I hated every minute of it. I was thinking of like breaking my arm so I could go home. And uh, I, I don't know why it just, it really was something I did not enjoy. And it's funny because when, when my father died and we were going through all of our shit, because he had all our shit in a storage unit. I was like, I found all these letters that I was writing to my mom, just like, why did you send me here? And like, I hate every second of this. And, you know, just like, I was just so, so bitter about it. However, I look back now, that was the first time, I was probably 13, first time I ever made out with a girl and touched a breast. Yeah, camp Not a naked breast. Yeah, I mean, it was the first time I'd ever like felt a tit. So if you think about it, it wasn't all that bad. I mean, the thing that's great about the first time you touch a tit is you don't need the nudity. You're just like, no. ah, you could you could touch a tit through glass, and it would still be the most meaningful moment of your life because it was the first one. Oh no, it was yeah, it was like a yeah. I mean, it was a a, a moving experience for me. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Um, all right, let's finish this call here. It's there, you know, but they had like a gun range and a zip line, gun range, all that stuff. But it was just I left because. Number one, the, the the two albino brothers were really weird. Okay, he mentioned this in the previous call, so he's elaborating here. He said there are two brothers who would dress the same. He didn't mention that they were fucking albinos. <laughs> I mean, this is even getting weirder, you know? Matching clothes all the time, and it was kind of... They were just kind of weird, had a weird look in their eyes. Children of the corn. And I, le- I also left because just the kind of the depth of the lie that I was going to have to live sort of hit me after I was there. I was there about about a week. Um, so yeah, that's just basically what I was trying to say. Uh, I'll go ahead and define the word obsquatulate for you. That's A-B-S-Q-U-A-T-U-L-A-T-E. Uh, and it just basically means to disappear, like abscond and perambulate kind of mixed together. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Uh, oh, I also have a song request. Um, it's kind of a nice faux gospel tune, sort of a goodbye to, uh, the church. Uh, it's a band called Sons of Perdition. They have a song called End to All Flesh. John Michael, do you know this song? I do not. They finally found a, (laughs) an ex-Christian band I don't fuck with. This is incredible. I would love to hear it. Anyways, uh. Have a good one, guys. Adios, lick my balls. Um, did you ever, uh, did Creed ever play any of your Christian camps? Aren't they Christian? No, Creed, Creed is a, a Christian band in that it helped them because uh, you could play them at church group, and but they aren't actually a Christian band. Oh, I thought uh, they and were. Our, no, and our church was very, like, they would go through your CD book to make sure you weren't bringing any sin in music when you went on the church trips and shit. But so Striper was, was cool? Well, Striper is a Christian man, though yeah. I, because I always listen to like punk and death metal and stuff, they could never tell what bands were Christian or not. So I got, just took whatever I wanted and was like, yeah, System of a Down is an incredible Christian band. <laughs> yeah, the Misfits, very Christian. Um, all right, well, thank you there, preacher, atheist preacher turned truck driver. We've got to come up with a new name for you. I'll have, to, I'll have to work on that. Uh, people can call the Sigma Hotline, 323-522-4032. Um, unfortunately, I got some shitty news I got to share with everybody. And uh, it's a sick and wrong announcement here. And I think a lot of listeners have predicted this already. But Harrison will not be returning to the show as a co-host. 
Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big bummer. I, I haven't spoken to him in a couple months at this point, and the last thing he told me is that he's planning on moving to England, and uh, perhaps this show you know, isn't the best way for him to deal with personal issues. In fact, he said, I have come to equate unraveling with entertaining, which probably is not the most healthy thing. And, I, you know, I got to say, I think it's good that, you know, he's changing his life for the better. And to be honest, I probably should look into doing something similar. Anyway, I do wish Harrison the best in England, and uh, hopefully you can come back and do some guest spots on the show in the future. But, uh, you know, people, Sick and Wrong's been going on for weekly on a weekly basis for almost 15 years, which is kind of insane. We've never missed a week, which is insane. Um, yeah, and during that time, like the 15 years, I've only missed four shows, and two were due to my father's death, and I even called into one of those shows. Uh, but Wackerly, you know, the original co-host, he did the show for 10 years. Uh, Harrison was almost, you know, was on for almost five. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next, um, but stay tuned. You know, I'm... Uh, Planning to uh, launch Sick and Wrong 3.0 in the near future. New co-host, new dynamic, new show. I'm sure some of you will totally dig it. I'm sure some of you probably will not. Um, same thing happened when Wackily left the show, you know. Um, but, but rest assured, Sick and Wrong is going to keep going as long as I want to keep recording it. And I'm not quite ready to hang up the headphones yet. But I appreciate everybody who's listened to this podcast for all these years. I mean, we have listeners who've been listening since like single-digit episodes. So I uh, appreciate everybody, and uh, yeah, Sick and Wrong 3.0 is coming. Uh, best way to support the show is by becoming a uh, Sick and Wrong patron, patreon.com slash sickandwrong. Um, we appreciate everybody supporting the show. This week I had uh, P-Town on Patreon, and uh, I was talking to him about having him on the show. And so me and, me and Pat, I'm from Pat, uh, we used to do an, a metal show in San Francisco called Rampage Radio from like 2 till 8 in the morning every Saturday. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a big show. I mean, the show's been on since, like, the 80s. Like, back in the day, like, Metallica was on it, Motorhead, and the Ramones. Uh, we did it late 90s to, to about, like, 2004. I think Pat only did it for like a couple of years. But anyway, I was talking to him, and he was like, I found all this audio that we recorded back then. And I played a little bit of our Rampage stuff on the show with, like, Bob Madigan. Um, but... He sent me a couple clips, and it is cringe-inducing, to say the least. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking back then. I was actually trying to get into radio, and my radio moniker, my DJ name, was Dirty Sanchez. And I was seriously making radio promos and sending them out to radio stations with the name Dirty Sanchez. I have no idea what I was thinking. <laughs> um, obviously, didn't get a job. Well, I got, you know, actually, I did get a couple jobs, a couple gigs. I auditioned on a... There's a San Francisco radio station called Alice Radio, and I auditioned to replace the co-host who, who also, I think he uh, went to rehab or something. And they were auditioning co-hosts, and the whole time I was auditioning, they were calling me Dirty Sanchez. Had no idea what the name meant. And then uh, after I left, a caller called in and was like, you guys have no idea what Dirty Sanchez means. And then he told them, and they were not happy about it. Didn't get the job. Anyway, go to patreon.com slash sick and wrong. Check it out. There's going to be a lot of uh, really embarrassing audio of, of me. Also, we have a new T Public store, which I mentioned. Uh, resurrected all the old sick and wrong shirts. I even brought back the elephant shitting, uh, the old school sick and wrong uh, 
uh, design as like a, you can get it as like a drink coaster. I think they have like stickers and shit. Uh, but if you just go to stickeroundpodcast.com slash shop, uh, you get links to the T Public store. Um, pretty cool. And finally here, Sick and Wrong Song of the Week. So uh, we had a, a rock and roll death this week there, John Michael. Eddie Van Halen. Eddie a, Van Halen. A heartbreaking tragedy. Legend, man. Um, you know, guitarist, songwriter, you know. Uh, Incredible keyboard player. Yeah, the guy was, I mean, he was a virtuoso. He died uh, this past Tuesday after a uh, long battle with cancer. Only 65 years old. Um. You know, Eddie Van Halen it kind of invented his own sound, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure it was around, but his whole thing was like the tapping on the, you know, with both hands on the neck of the instrument. The finger tapping? Yeah. The finger tapping, yeah. The... Yeah, that was kind of, which, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard like shredding like that's not that difficult to do, but this guy was a master. That's, a, the, I think the thing that you, people forget about Van Halen because they've just been like synonymous with like douchey guitar wanking for so long yeah. is like, how musical they actually are like that van halen has this just as many complicated guitar riffs as like rush or king crimson but they play them like bubblegum pop and like you're halfway through the song before you realize that he's been doing these scales that like mathematicians would need like books to understand he's just such an incredible fucking talent yeah, he, he was yeah but he was never very boring. influential he was like a guitar nerd who was never boring which i think is so rare and special and fun I mean, I was. It's he not like I listened up to, at gunpoint at one point. Like, he's like hey, dude. <laughs> it's not like I listen to Van Halen every day. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of a, one of those bands, some, some kind of like Led Zeppelin, where it's like I've heard the song so many times. But there are like you know the first album is fucking great. I I never got into Van Hagar like the the Sammy Hagar years terrible. I love Van Hagar. Uh, I never got into. I, I was never a fan of Sammy Hagar, but uh, right now is one of the best songs they ever did. Uh, God, I can't listen to it. But David Lee Roth, I mean, that guy was a fucking maniac. But Eddie Van Halen, I mean, he it was his band. It was his band. You know, the David Lee Roth years. It was his band, the Sammy Hagar years. Um, do you know why he played the uh, the Beat It guitar solo? Oh yeah, on the, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller. That's not even my favorite part of that song story. He played the guitar solo and uh, Michael Jackson was like there for the recording, but he had to like walk across the hall and record something for like a si- like a children's book or something. And while he was gone, uh, Van Halen went up to Quincy Jones and was like, hey, uh, play the whole song for me. They like played the whole song. He was like, cool, I'm going to rearrange some parts. So while <laughs> Michael Jackson was gone, he just like told Quincy Jones he was going to rearrange some keyboard parts and like some of the drums and shit. And when Michael Jackson came back, he was like, so Michael, I changed your song completely. And he was and Michael's cool with it. Out. I mean, Michael's yeah, he was, young. He was like, no, he was, it was like everyone who collaborates with me is too afraid to do anything different to the song. They just do what I ask. So, I, I yeah. read that he wasn't even paid for it. Yeah, no, I think he did it. Grand. I mean, I'm sure he got like a point on the record or something. Yeah, I think he got got credit. Retrospect. (laughs) Yeah, I think he got credit, but I think he was just like he didn't really think it was. He thought the song would you know barely be heard. He was just like, ah, there's some kid, whatever. I'll do it as a favor to Quincy Jones. Um, (laughs) You know, my favorite Eddie Van Halen story is, uh, and this happened like later on. It's like in the 2000s. So Pantera guitarist Dimebag Daryl idolized Eddie Van Halen, Mm -hmm. and apparently, like he listened to Van Halen before um, every show. And, yeah, uh, and his, his brother and him would say Van Halen to each other before they like 
went before on they stage. would play. You know what? Uh, he died. Uh, Don McDarrell was murdered by a crazy fan. Probably the yep. most metal way to die. Sort of like getting cleaved in half, you know, having your head cleaved in half with a battle axe. But I mean, he was like playing with his band Damage Plan and just got yeah. shot to death on stage. Dude was insane. furious that Pantera broke up. <laughs> yeah, crazy fans. Uh, but shortly before his death, he expressed interest in buying one of a limited run series of Eddie's signature tape striped guitars. But uh-huh. Eddie Van Halen told him to wait, and he would tape stripe a guitar specifically for Daryl and give it to him next time they met. But that day never arrived. And so I guess when uh, Daryl's body was being prepared for burial in a Kiss casket donated yep. by members of Kiss, Eddie actually placed his original black and yellow bumblebee guitar pictured on the back cover of Van Halen 2 right next to the, in the casket with him. Yeah, his, uh, the, the, my favorite, like it's, it's one of those beautiful stories because like uh, Vinnie Paul, his brother, uh, asked him to bring a taped up guitar because it was his favorite guitar. And then Van Halen just brought it without telling him. Yeah, the so Vinnie original. Paul didn't, he didn't know he was getting the original and he was like here and he was like, this is the original. And uh, Van Halen was like, yeah. <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Why would I give him a replica? <laughs> but like, it, like, do you have to understand like how much these dudes love Van Halen? Vinny, or, uh, uh, his final words was were, were Van Halen. Like when he was dying, the last thing he said to his brother as he was bleeding out on stage was Van Halen. <laughs> I've never heard that. Because wow, it's that's... what they said to each other before they went on stage. Because Van Halen was like their personification of what rock and roll was supposed to be. And if you went out there, you played like you were in Van Halen. And like every single time they went out, you fucking played like you were in Van Halen. And his dying words just looked at his brother and went, Van Halen and fucking that's... left this mortal chordal. That is metal. That is shit. fucking metal. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> now, they, that's the thing. They were a band. I mean, God, I love that band in the in the eighties. It was just like people like around our age it's kind of unavoidable to have uh, you know been influenced by uh, Van Halen so I'm gonna you know normally we don't do uh, huge mainstream songs on this but obviously this is gonna be a dedication to Eddie Van Halen you know rest in power definitely going to be missed uh, legendary guitarist I'm gonna play the song Atomic Punk uh, which is oh, yes. off of uh, the first album Van Halen released in 1978 and what's interesting about this song I mean, it's kind of a dystopic sci-fi theme song. Is uh, Eddie Van Halen made his guitar kind of sound like a spaceship landing in like a barren wasteland? Like in the song's intro, that like kind of weird riff that he did. Dude was a master of manipulating guitar distortion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, well, he did it by rubbing his palm across the strings while his guitar was hooked up to like a phaser pedal. <laughs> ah, the guy's the guy's fucking amazing. Rest in peace, man. So much fun. Um, yeah. So, John Michael, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it was uh, it was it's always fun chatting with you. And uh, thank you, Richard Van Steenberg, for uh, for chatting with us as well. Um, we're gonna end the show here with Atomic Punk. Uh, people will be back next week with episode seven sixty one. Till then, take a sleazy. <laughs>
We're taking care of our seniors. You're not vulnerable, but they like to say the vulnerable, but you're the least vulnerable. But for this one thing, you are vulnerable.